Now, having said that, if you will turn your attention to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and I'm not going to reread uh, the 20 verses that have been read, uh, but as you have heard, you know that we're going to be dealing with the birth of Jesus in this sermon, and it is fitting given what we're going to be celebrating in a few days on Saturday, as a matter of fact. And so I want to remind us that the holiday is on Saturday. The holiday is not on Sunday. I want that to sink in. The holiday is Saturday. So don't let a Saturday holiday stop you from coming to worship on Sunday. Because some of us will celebrate all weekend. And forget that Sunday is the Lord's Day. So just remember. Don't let your Christmas hangover stop you from coming to church services next Sunday. Amen, somebody. Because some of you still got a little world in you. And, and you, you, you know, you, you, when you come to this, these holiday celebrations, uh, you go back to old tendencies. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that one. And so I want to talk this morning from the, the title, The Importance of His Birth. And the his, of course, is Jesus, the importance of the birth of Jesus. It is important that Jesus was born. Now, we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. We celebrate his death, his resurrection in the communion. But guess what? He, if he had never been born, he wouldn't have died. So there's some things that we can learn even from his birth. Now, we need to understand that the Bible does not uh, encourage us to celebrate his birth. The Bible simply records his birth. Now, what you're going to see in the text today is that there was nothing special about the birth of Jesus. The scene that you see in the text is what would happen to any child being born. The, the special things were where he was born and how he was conceived. But you'll learn that, 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 that it's low-keyed. Right? Now, these words are important, and I'm choosing them that way. It's low-key because what we do today is not low-key. But when you read it in this passage, it's low-key. The people who are involved are common pagans, not, not peasants is the word I want to use. They're common peasants. They're not the highly educated, the rich, but just common regular folk. In our world today, Christmas has become commercialized. And I don't think I, I, I fear being contradicted when I say that. Uh, sales start in the summertime for Christmas. Uh, there was a time when people would at least wait until midnight on Thanksgiving night before they start talking about Christmas. Now, even in the summer, they're talking about, you can even see Christmas lights and Christmas trees in certain places. And, and, and that starts the frenzy on buying stuff because we want to get a jump start on getting the Christmas gifts. Some of you probably got your Christmas gift probably in September and October. So you're on easy street now. But when you think about how the world looks at Christmas today, it's about shopping. It's about getting your stuff while it's on sale or at the cheapest price. It is about preparing for that big meal that you're going to send it because you're going to overeat, gluttonous. But you feel, well, it's one day a year, and I ought to be able to do, do this. Uh, don't make excuses for sinning. So it's become com commercialized. Um, people will even go uh, mall shopping and all the kind of stuff on Sunday and miss worship to get a sale. Drive all over the city for a sale. You, know, you forget about the gas you're burning driving all over the city. So it's become commercialized. You know, what am I going to get? You know, what am I going to give the other people? Uh, you want to be in the right crowd? So, you know, this group of people, when they give gifts, they give good gifts. The expensive gifts. So you avoid these other people that you don't think can give you an expensive gift. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. You don't want to acknowledge it. So there's no real focus 
on Jesus. Because everybody gets a gift but Jesus. Anybody ever noticed that? Everybody gets a gift but Jesus. Rare is even talked about on Christmas. But it's supposed to be his birthday. But look at who, who we're talking We're talking about each other. We're talking about the stuff we're going to get or the stuff we've gotten, uh, the wonderful food we're going to have, family coming in from here, whose house we're going to. Well, oh, that was pre-COVID. So maybe now some of you are going to stay home for the holiday. But even with that, there's still not, not a whole lot of talk about Jesus when it comes to Christmas. Our world waits for this one day to be loving and kind and generous. Why can't we do that all year long? Why can't you give a gift in February that's not Valentine's related? Or in June? I said June because that's my, that's my month. <laughs> June 6th, in case you didn't know. But, but why can't we do that throughout the year? Because Jesus is blessing us throughout the year. He doesn't wait and do it one day. I am quite sure when you were a child, one of the highlights of your year was Christmas. And you could hardly wait for Christmas to come. As a matter of fact, you thought it took all year long to occur. Well, it did take a year. But you were looking forward to uh, the presents under the tree and all the trimmings that went along with Christmas. Well, guess what? As we get older, Christmas doesn't mean the same. As you get older, it's a day to sleep late. It, it, you, want, you want to sleep late? Children go downstairs and tear up on their presents, but, you know, you stay in bed. You rest. Uh, it, it is a day where you, you look at, well, all this money I've spent, and now it's going to take me X number of days to pay it all back. Because some of you go for broke. Uh, you max out the card during the holidays. And it takes you the whole year to pay it off. But, that, but there's just a difference in how we approach Christmas when we're children from when we're adults. Any, anybody knows that besides me? Okay. Uh, uh, it, it is amazing when, when you are, when you become an adult, you get married and you have children. Uh, it's amazing how your parents forget that you're their child. And so they just immediately give gifts to the grandchildren and forget you as if you didn't even exist. <laughs> Anybody experience that? Yeah. And you have to remind them, and you know, I was here before this person came. And I'm going to be the one that has to take care of you when you get old. So it would be nice to remember me. But it's just amazing how those little things uh, happen. And we can laugh at them, but it, it, it's, it's true. It happens. But in the midst of all of that, in this section of scripture, we have one of the greatest events in history. Let me back that up. The greatest event in history occurs with the birth of Jesus the Christ here. And it's interesting, only two gospels, Matthew and Luke, actually say anything about this. The other fellows don't. So that, that says something right there. That if only two of the four bother to even mention this. But I'll deal with that a little bit later. So let me give you a few uh, facts on Christmas. For the first few centuries, the church did not even celebrate Christmas. And I know that may be shocking for us because some of us, as long as we've been living, Christmas has been celebrated. But it was not always that way. Because there's no directives for celebrating Christmas. Giving... Uh, Gift-giving was a part of pagan festivals. So you need to know what we're doing and the origin of it. And that's not to say you won't give any gifts, but you need to recognize, uh, go beyond just your feelings and what you know. Singing Christmas carols started during the Middle Ages. It wasn't something that has always existed. Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, all these things. The first Christmas cards appeared in the 1800s. Christmas trees, Christmas trees uh, did not appear in America until the 19th century. And so I share those brief facts to simply let you know that what we do now has not always been done. So don't be getting an attitude toward people who don't celebrate it. 
That, that's one of the things I want us to understand. Uh, because there are those people who, for whatever reason, don't want a Christmas tree. They don't want you giving them a gift. So leave them alone. Don't say there's something wrong with them. They, are, they, they should be able to operate based on their convictions, just like those of you who are more liberal operate on your convictions. We need to be able to get along and stop having this argument uh, about uh, this or that. No, if you want to celebrate it, that's fine. If you choose not to celebrate, that's fine too. So having said that, let's get into the text. As our scripture opens up, a census is being taken and Mary and Joseph are going to have to do some traveling. Verses 1 through 3. Uh, God has to get Jesus to Bethlehem because right now they're in Nazareth. And so God has to get them to Bethlehem because that's where he has to go for the census. That's where he has to go to get registered. Uh, that's where his ancestral home is. And so he has to go there based on this decree that has been issued. And God uses Caesar Augusta to get Jesus to the place that had already been prophesied that he would be born in. God will use anybody or anything to get his plan in action. So God here used a heathen to get Mary and, and Joseph to the right place so that Jesus can be born in fulfillment of scripture. Now, they're going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's a long way for a pregnant woman to be traveling. Okay, some of you women who've been pregnant, uh, you know that at certain points in the pregnancy, uh, doing certain things become more difficult, like sitting for a long period of time or walking. And so we don't get any, any detail on how she went there or how she got there. We just know she accompanied her husband on the journey. But we know from later verses, she's close to the time to give birth. So just think about that. In verses 6 through 7, the birth happens. Interesting, Luke is a physician. And he does not give us a whole lot of details. You expect a doctor uh, to give you all the details of what happened. Uh, and he doesn't do that. He just said that the, the time occurred. The time came. Maybe there's a reason that those details are not there. Maybe he's trying to help us. It doesn't matter. Because what does matter is what happened before that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's where the miracle is. And, and the way Jesus is born is just like any other baby. Isn't that what you read in your Bible? He didn't just pop out. Mary went through contractions and labor just like any of you went through. The text was said that Mary gives birth to her first son. So that means she has mother children later. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, 46 and 47 helps us understand uh, Mary has some other children besides Jesus. And that's important because you have some religions that teach she didn't, that she was a perpetual virgin. Well, we just shot that one down right here. The pregnancy was conceived when she was a virgin, and Joseph did not have sexual relationships with her until after Jesus was born. But the birth scene is just that of any other baby. He's wrapped up in swaddling clothes. And you guys who've had babies or gone to the hospital, you know that they wrap these babies tight. And they do that uh, for a reason, really to protect them, uh, to keep them warm. Uh, so they won't scratch themselves and all that kind of stuff. Anybody seen babies that scratch themselves? But the point is, this is just like any other birth. That's what Jewish women did. When the baby came out, they wrapped them up. What makes this different is where they then go. Remember, there's no place in the end. And, and I need you to understand, it's, it's not an inn like the Holiday Inn or Hampton Inn or Hilton or any of those kind of places. It was just a place that could have been uh, some makeshift place on, on, on the road. But not like uh, hotels that we think about today because that's what you think about when you hear the inn. But it wasn't like that. 
It's just some place where people were staying. It could have been a, a, a field or whatever. But the text helps us understand it was already crowded. There was no room for them. But God's plan is not going to be stopped simply because there's no room in the end. So Jesus is born, but they place him after he's born in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. It is a place where animals come to feed. It's not the traditional place you put a baby. But guess what? There was no place else. There's no crib. There's no nursery. So they made do with what was provided for them. Here's God in the flesh. The son of God being born. There's no place for him to stay. And the only place he can be laid down is in an animal trough. How unspectacular is that? You need to beginning to see uh, that when Jesus was born, there was nothing major, fantastic going on. It was treated rather common. As a matter of fact, uh, there, 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 we don't read it that there were anybody, any witnesses there other than Mary and Joseph. Later, uh, the shepherds are going to come, but that's later. They're not there right now. Common, regular, ordinary. I keep stressing that in contrast to what we see being done today, when pe how people celebrate each, uh, uh, Christmas. It's not common. It's not ordinary. It's very spectacular. In verses 8 through 12, we see the shepherds being informed about this good news, about Jesus being born. And the text will help us understand as the angel appears to the shepherds, they are in shock. They are fearful. They are afraid. I, I guess you can understand that, right? If an angel appeared to you, what would your response be? What would your response be? I think you'd be terrified, afraid uh, of this being appearing before you. But the shepherds are going to have to deal with even more than just the angel who's initially talking to them. Because in a few verses, multitudes of angels are going to be there. Now, they're there to help represent the significance of who this is that's being born into the world. This is the son of God. So whereas mankind didn't recognize it, didn't do anything, God in heaven did. He allowed his angels to come down and share the good news to encourage the shepherds. I need for us to understand that good news is worth sharing. Good news is worth sharing. Uh, what we need in the world is more good news being shared and less of the bad news being shared. We need to share stuff that's going to build people up in the faith and not so much stuff that's going to frighten them. We learn that the good news involves the fact that Jesus came for everyone. So one of the things that we ought to be reminded of on Christmas is that we have a Savior who came into the world for everyone, not just the folk in your house sitting around your dinner table. Because we have a very uh, limited focus on the holiday. We're just going to eat, and we're going to eat, and we're going to eat. And then we're going to sleep. Well, you're going to burp before you sleep. But you and I need to remember that the good news is for everybody. And so the shepherds are going to help us a little bit later to understand you don't keep this to yourself. Too many of us are keeping the good news to ourselves. When was the last time you told somebody, the good news. Now, I shared some good news earlier about some blessings that people have received, but the greatest news we could share is Jesus. Never lose sight of that. This is good news because man, us, we have a problem called S-I-N. Now, what does that spell? You and I have a sin problem, and the only way to get rid of this sin is through Jesus. You cannot handle, deal with your sin on your own. If we could, then there would be no reason for Jesus to be born. 
it is good news to know that we have a Savior who is coming in the world to save us from our sins. And maybe we need to be talking more about that on Christmas Day, since it's a day that's supposed to celebrate his birth. So the text will tell us that Jesus is Savior, he's Christ, and he is Lord. Verse number 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. So Jesus is Savior in that he came to save the world from sin. We don't talk much about that on Christmas Day. That this day is, is in honor of a person who came to save us from our sin. We talk, it's a holiday, I don't have to go to work. It's a holiday, it's a day that I can uh, just do what I want to do. And I can eat what I want to eat, even though some of the stuff you guys are already planning to eat is not on your diet plan. <laughs> so all that food your doctor or your nutritionist has told you, leave that stuff alone. Well, it's just one day. Well, that may be the day you have your heart attack. <laughs> yeah, just thought I'd put some reality into this whole thing. So, so he's Savior. He came to save the world from sin. We, we need to never forget that that's Jesus. But he tells us some more about it. He says that Jesus is the Christ. Now, his name is not Jesus Christ. He is Jesus the Christ. My name is Maurice Davis, and I'm a preacher. But my name is not Maurice Davis Preacher. He is Jesus. That's the name he has. But he is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Messiah. His name is Jesus, not Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. So we reverence him because of that. We respect him. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the Israelites had long looked for or wondered when he was going to come, but he didn't come the way they thought. This birth is not the way they would have thought their Christ would have come or their Messiah would have come. Being born uh, uh, out in the wilderness, out in the open, laying in a trough, a manger. What kind of conquering uh, king or hero would do that? He was a conqueror, he was a king, but not in the way that the Israelites thought. And I would say he's a conqueror and a king, not the way many of us have been taught to think about it. And so we need to be reminded of this as we look at this birth scene to begin to see who Jesus is. He's Savior. He's the Christ, but he's also Lord. And he's Lord because he has a position of leadership and authority that cannot be taken away from him. See, even if you don't obey Jesus, he's still Lord. Even if you don't want to respect him, he still has authority over your life. If you don't believe me, we just sang a song, Jesus is coming soon. Guess what he's going to do when he comes back to earth? He's going to exercise lordship. He's going to exercise authority on all those people who disobeyed him and who ignored him. And so whereas a person right now may not be reverencing him as Lord, the day is going to come when it's going to happen. So why not recognize him that way right now versus when you're getting ready to get punished? So, so this birth is significant because we're getting a savior. This birth is significant because the anointed one, the one that people have been looking for, the Messiah, has come into the world. This day is significant because our Lord is coming into existence. It's interesting, just for you ladies, you married ladies. You remember in 1 Peter where it talks about uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah? Okay, it sounds like somebody know where I'm going. It's interesting, what did... The text say Sarah called Abraham. Yeah, you didn't have to speak it. You just answered silently. Has to do with his leadership, has to do with his authority. And so we'd accept that with Jesus, but we won't accept that for your own husband. 
Okay, that, that says something about how you view your husband. I just thought I'd throw that in there. We know he's not Jesus. We know he's not the Christ. We know he's not uh, uh, that. But he's the authority in your home. And he's the authority that you voluntarily married. There was no shotgun wedding. As a matter of fact, some of you hoped he'd come and take you. Because you want to leave your mom and daddy's house. Just a comparison. And just like we have a, a problems with the, the, the right re relationship with, with husbands, you have the same problem with the right relationship with Jesus. See, the principle is there because our Savior has come into the world. And so even if you don't like him, don't want to obey him, don't want to submit to him, do it because Jesus came along. Sisters, that, that ought to free you up. And you can deal with a smile. Say, you can say it under your breath. I, I'm not going to do this because of who you are, but I'm going to do it because of who Jesus is. Sisters, I, okay, no amen from you. That's, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. So in verses 13, 13 and 14, we see the reason for the good news. Verse 13 says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So an angel, one angel has been talking to the shepherds. Now multitude appears. And we're talking about thousands of angels appear on this occasion. And look at what they are doing. They're praising God and saying glory to God in the highest or glory to God in heaven. And then on earth, peace, goodwill. So who's being praised on this day? They praise God for the occurrence of the day. You're not praising each other. And the text says that God did this so that Jesus could come and bring peace. The birth of Jesus signals an opportunity for us to be reconciled to the Father. That's why it's important. Because his coming says the father gave us another chance. And there was nobody else who could do it but Jesus, who is God in the flesh. So one of the things that we ought to think about as it relates to Christmas is it's an occurrence. or It occurred so that mankind can be reconciled with God. So I ask you, are you reconciled with God? You're already planning about celebrating Christmas and eating and all that kind of stuff. But, but beyond that, have you been reconciled? To, have you been made right with God? And in the midst of our celebrating, we don't even think anything about that. We're just going to observe the day, open our gifts, eat our food, et cetera, et cetera. So verses 15 through 20, the question becomes, what do you do after you have heard the good news? What, what do you do? What do you do after you have heard about Jesus? You know what his role is. He's Savior. He's Christ. He's Lord. You have witnessed uh, what the angels have proclaimed. You have been terrified. You have been shocked by this occurrence. And I need to say, and I didn't say this earlier, uh, his, his audience was shepherds. Shepherds were not well-educated. They were folk who just worked out in the field. Many of them were dishonest. And I know when we think about shepherds, we think, of, uh, 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 we think of Moses and we think of David. Yeah, they were good shepherds. But the vast majority of shepherds were crooks. They were outcasts. So look at who God chooses to, uh, God chooses to witness the birth of his son. The kind of people who we would think are not worth anything. The kind of people who will be viewed as outcasts. And so from the very beginning, we are learning who Jesus, who God cares about. He cares about all people, but he gives us a glimpse. These are the kind of people that are going to be drawn to me. 
And if you try to share the good news, the gospel with anybody, the, the kind of people many times you think will be drawn to them aren't. But it's those of low estate. See, if you're rich, you don't have time to even think about that because you got all the money you need or you think you need, and you can do whatever you want to do. It's people who know they need some help, who know they're not right with God, who know they got issues. Anybody know you got issues up in here? If I ask them, your kinfolk, I, they tell me you got issues. And Jesus came to help folk with issues. That's why the, the concept of reconciling man to God. So, as the shepherds are being made aware by the angels of what has occurred, guess what they want to do? The shepherds want to see Jesus. They want to see what they have heard. They want to get close to this person because of what they have heard. And because that's what they want to do, they found Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Now, the shepherds were out in the field watching sheep. So they could not just immediately leave their sheep. Then they would have been derelict of their duties. So the text doesn't tell us what they did, how they arranged this or whatever. We just know some shepherds went to where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were. And, and I say that to say uh, finding Jesus does not mean you neglect your responsibilities. I think I said something there. Because some folk act like, well, I'm a Christian now. I don't have to do this. No, you still got to go to work. You still got to take care of your family. Yeah, you got to study your Bible, but you still got to do some other things also. So, so the shepherds, they heard what was told them. They believed what they were told, and then they acted on it. So they had a response to this good news. They had a response to what they were learning about Jesus. And their response was they went to find out where he was. But after they had seen this for themselves, guess what they did? They told others about Jesus. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? See, you can come to worship service and not tell other folk about Jesus. You can come to midweek Bible study and not tell anybody about Jesus. You can read your Bible and not tell anybody about Jesus. But if Jesus is going to have the impact he wants to have in your life, you can't keep it to yourself. I think what Jeremiah says, it's like fire shut up in my bones. You got to do something with it. And the only reason you don't do anything with it is you did. So they told others about Jesus. Verse number 18, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which they were told, told them by the shepherds. So look at the reaction of the people. They were amazed. They were marveled. They pondered. I mean, not really. They thought about what was said. But you don't read where they did anything with the information they had. You and I need to recognize there are going to be people that we tell about Jesus and they're not going to do anything with the information. Don't let that stop you from still reaching out because there are some people who want to know Jesus, who want to know the real Jesus, who are tired of all the traditions and all of the things that are being said that they know are not biblical. They want to meet Jesus. They want somebody to tell them. So don't be dismayed by those who are just simply amazed. Well, that's, that's nice. Can you tell me more about it? Okay, you tell them more, but they never do anything. And there comes a time in our lives where you and I need to have been around the mulberry bush enough to know who's real and who's not real. Stop fooling yourself, lying to yourself. Uh, I, your friends and your family members, you know their character. And it doesn't take you long to say somebody's just playing with you. They're just asking you uh, stuff and saying stuff uh, just to pass the time. There's no real commitment to following that. Contrast that, though, with verse number 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So here is Jesus' mother, the woman who had been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, the woman who has carried him for uh, this time period, who knows what God has done in her life, who recognizes there was nothing special about her that he picked her. 
but he did. So the text says she reflects on, she meditates on, she ponders the things that are going on. Maybe she thought, how am I going to raise God? How am I going to discipline God? What do I have that's going to help God? You do know Jesus was God in the flesh. Do do you think Mary and Joseph ever spanked God in flesh? Do, Do you think they ever had to chastise him? Bible doesn't say. We do know that occasion where uh, they get separated and they find them in the temple and, and they are frustrated and mad as any parents would be to do and, and they say, son, why, why are you stress us out like this? And that's when he had to say, well, I got to be about my father's business. So Mary reflected. When you have a relationship with Jesus, there are times where you need to reflect on the relationship. You need to ponder, am I right with God? Am I living the way he wants me to live? Am I giving him the time and the attention that he deserves? Don't just take it for granted and just go through the motions. Because too many times, that's what we do. And if Christmas is going to mean anything to us, it ought to be a time of reflection. It it ought to be a time that you strive. I want to get closer to Jesus. As I said, we give everybody gifts on Christmas but Jesus. When was the last time you gave Jesus a gift? Okay, I take the silence to have answered my question. But it doesn't stop there. Verse number 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Life eventually goes back to normal. So the shepherds have witnessed this great occurrence. They have been motivated by what they see. But they're shepherds. They got to go back to work. They had to go back and deal with the sheep. But the text says they didn't go back to work the way they came. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. So the shepherds were different when, been, when they went back to work. They had been changed. My point being, you cannot see Jesus. Be around Jesus and not change. The only way for you to be around Jesus, see him, understand who he is, and and not change is you're lazy. You're heartless. And too many of us, we have seen Jesus through the pages of inspiration, but it has not moved us to do anything. It hasn't moved us to change our ways, to repent of stuff, to leave sin alone to adopt the habits that we know God wants us to have. We just think coming to worship service is all there is to it. Jesus came to reconcile us so that we can be saved, so that we can have a close relationship with him. And that goes beyond just attending church services. Now, some of us need to learn that before judgment day comes. Oh, let me back that up. Some of us need to learn that before you die. Because if you don't learn it before you die, I'm just mighty afraid some of us are going to have some gate trouble. Because we assume folk in denominations are going to be the only ones with gate trouble. I got news for you. There are some people who have been baptized in a building that has the name Church of Christ on it that are going to have gate trouble. They'll have gate trouble because they still don't know who Jesus is. They haven't gotten any closer to him. They haven't lived faithful lives. They just simply showed up at the church building. Be like the shepherds. When they go back home, when they go to their jobs, they are changed. Because now they got a story to tell. See, when you have really been with Jesus, when you really know who he is, you got a testimony. You're going to tell somebody about him. And you're going to be creative. You're going to look for ways to tell. And you're not going to accept being silent. Because you want people to have this experience that you've had. Now, again, we can't control how people respond. 
Now, come on. Folk, folk on your job, don't they, they tell you all the stuff they do, especially on Monday or Tuesday. They, they recount everything that happened on the weekend. And some of them give you too much information. On Monday, do you ever tell anybody, I went to church services on, on Sunday, on yesterday, and this is what I learned. Oh, there reminds me, did the Patriots win or lose the other night? Because I know you know the answer to that question. I, I'm, I'm asking a question. I don't know. Of course, I don't care, but I, I you know. Okay. Okay. We know that, but do you know Jesus? And some of you all were going, oh, we got this winning streak. We won, what, seven, eight games consecutive? So I have to listen to the news every night, put stuff in my sermons to connect with you guys. You really want to be on a winning streak? Stay with Jesus. The importance of his birth. Let me give you three, three additional points, and then we'll be done. First thing is, let Jesus grow in your life. Now, Jesus is born a baby. He grows, and, and Mary and Joseph have to deal with him at the terrible twos and as a toddler and as he gets a preteen and a teenager and all. He is growing. He's increasing in wisdom. Jesus needs to grow in our lives. You knew a little bit about him yesterday. You ought to know a whole lot about him today. And if your Bible knowledge is still as little today as it was yesterday, shame on you. You ought to want to grow. You ought to want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You ought not to want uh, that everything you learn, somebody has to tell you. Now, as we grow physically, parents may have told you what to do when you were small, but at some point, don't you come to learn how to tie your own shoes? Don't you come to where you learn how to fix your own bed, whether you do it right or not? You know how to do it. You just choose not to. You know how to clean your room. You got to grow. And there ought to be something in you that helps hold you accountable for growing. Secondly, spread the word about Jesus. Spread the word about Jesus. Uh, Brandon mentioned uh, the baptism we had this morning. Robin uh, was baptized this morning. Robin has been coming to our 8 o'clock service on a five, six, seven months. I knew if she kept coming long enough, today would occur. And, and, and after I did this sermon at 8 o'clock, her first question to me was, am I a visitor or am I a member of your church? See, I, I knew that was going to come up at, at some point. And I told her, you're a visitor. See, now some of you would have told her, well, no, you're a member. No, no, she wasn't a member. She's a visitor. She's just been coming more regular than some of you all. And I would say she's been given more regular than some of you all. And she's been involved in ministry when some of you all weren't. And so it was obvious she was a seeker. We just needed some pharisaical church members not to mess with her. And the word impacted her. And so she asked what she needed to do. And I was happy I was the one she asked her to ask the question so I can give her some biblical answers because some of you would have said a whole bunch of other stuff. But spread the word about Jesus. And she was someone we didn't have to go very far because you're sitting over there on the second row for the last uh, five, six months. But I'm thankful that all of you have been friendly and encouraging to her. Uh, you've hugged her, you've been happy to see her, and she has been happy to receive uh, that affection from you guys. And that's a part of her recognizing this is the place. This is the place. So continue to spread the word about Jesus. And then recognize that Jesus came for everyone. We are a predominantly black congregation, but Jesus just didn't die for black folk. I need to say that because some of you act like that he died for just for black folk. He died for everyone. And his church needs to reflect that diversity. 
You and I live with people of other nationalities. We work with people of other nationalities. Why can't we worship with folk from other nationalities? You can talk with these people about everything else but Jesus. You and I need to remember our Savior, our Christ, our Lord came for everybody. His good news about reconciliation about being saved from sin is a message everybody needs to hear. Black, white, yellow, pink, green, orange, any other color. And we need to be like the shepherds who when we get that message, we go back home. Or we go to wherever it is we go and we tell folk about it. See, if more of us told people about Jesus, we'd be doing what we did this morning every day, not every Sunday. We be doing it every day. Collectively, we run across thousands of people. And if we would just share Jesus with just a handful, we triple our numbers in no time. So the next time you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking really about nothing, recognize all this time I'm talking about nothing, I can insert some Jesus in here. It, it won't take you long to determine if the person is interested or not. If they're not interested, then you go back to talking about the patriots. But if they're interested, okay, let's talk about the word. Let's talk about the scriptures. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about his church. And you'll never know who will say, am I a visitor or am I a member? And you get to share the good news. So the birth of Jesus is important. There, there are a lot of lessons we can learn from it. But we won't learn those lessons if we listen to the world. We'll learn those lessons if we reflect back on scripture. So now I hope this, this tempers what you're going to do next weekend. I'm not advocating you don't have your celebration and all that, because I'm going to be celebrating with my family. But don't get all, you know, don't get all, don't get all out the box. Recognize that the birth of Jesus was low key. Nobody special there. So think about that when you're planning these elaborate celebrations or you're going out spending thousands of dollars on junk or you're trying to buy people's love or you're trying to buy people's friendship or you're trying to make your children like you. Jesus is about good news. And if you wake up on Christmas Day, that's some good news right there. That's the best news. And if we start appreciating what he's already done for us, then you recognize if he never, if he never does anything else for me, he's done more than I deserve. I hope you look at Christmas a little bit differently now. I hope you look at the birth of Jesus with a little bit more insight. And I hope that it motivates us to get outside of how the world says we ought to celebrate. And we have a much more realistic and spiritual awareness of what God has called us to. And we can celebrate the holiday because no, none of you are going to work on Christmas, and not unless you have to. Uh, you're going to enjoy the day. You're going to spend time with your family or your loved ones or your friends or whoever. And you're going to eat as much as you want to eat. Uh, just don't forget about Jesus. And then recognize Christmas is on a Saturday. So that next day, which is Sunday, get on up and come to worship service and Bible class. And when it's time to participate in the collection, give Jesus a gift. So go beyond what you normally would put in there. Give him a gift. You know, a gift is extra. In, in the right shop, niece, a gift is extra? Okay, all right. 
So give Jesus a little bit extra to say, I appreciate you. I love you. I've been pondering on how you blessed me with this new car. I've been thinking about how you blessed me with this new house. I've been thinking about this new salary I've gotten. I've been thinking about how you just let me walk into an interview and they just gave me the job. I didn't even have to answer a question. I've been thinking about how uh, I set my own salary. Now's the time for you to reflect your appreciation for those things. And some of you already, God's working on your blessing for next year. You've already set the date for it. You've already got the paperwork uh, in existence. We're just waiting on the news to come. So some more of you are going to get some new cars and new jobs and new houses and stuff like that. And we're going to tell it. Because we need to be aware of what Jesus does in our lives when we're faithful to him. That will spur some other person who's kicking against the pricks to understand until you get your life right with God, you're not going to be blessed. Because we got too many people whining and complaining around here when your issue is you're not treating God right. And you can give all the gifts you want to on, on Saturday next week, but if you're not treating God right, might as well throw all the stuff in the trash. This morning, if you're here and you have a statement, you have a prayer request, or you recognize that you have sinned and you need to make a confession, we're going to give thee the opportunity to do that in a few minutes. See, if you really know Jesus, you don't have a problem with being honest with him about your situation. You know he already knows the worst about you. He, knew, he knows the dirt we don't know. And he knows how to keep a secret. The people you talk to don't know how to hold water. But Jesus knows the dirt about you, and he doesn't bring it up and throw it in your face. Why not make a commitment to him like he's made a commitment to you? Why not love him? Why not love him to the point you're willing to obey him? You're willing to commit your life to him through baptism. Jesus will never let you down. It doesn't take too many years of living to encounter situations where people let you down. Even the very people who love you let you down. I don't think I can read anywhere in scripture where people were disappointed because they put their trust in Jesus. Now, if you know what that is, after worship, come, come and show me that in the Bible. Uh, but I think you're not going to contradict me on that one. He's faithful and he's just. Why not make our lives demonstrate an appreciation for what he did by being born into this sin-cursed world? and sharing that good news with others. If you need to respond, please do so now if we stand and sing.